Good morning. Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, to Mark 5, please. Oh, I wanted to pray for uh, the group that's in Texas. We've got, uh, how many did we have going? Does anybody know? How many people? 24 people. Pastor Bond, Justice, and uh, some young people are down in a, at the Rethink Conference this weekend. So uh, why don't we take a moment and pray for them before we get into the Word. Uh, please pray with me. Father, I thank you uh, for the work you're doing in the lives of the young people this weekend. I pray, Lord, that uh, through the ministry of your Word, um, they would get a new um, conviction about the importance of defending the faith. I pray they get a new understanding, new tools they can use. And I pray that you give them a heart to share the gospel with their friends and family. We pray that... Um, this weekend would just bear fruit in their lives as they reach out to others uh, to share your gospel. Keep them safe, we ask, Lord, on their, on their return home. We pray it in your name. Amen. Uh, Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Uh, then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Your version may say the Gerasenes. Um, and when he had come out of the boat, he being Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones." And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country, now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There was about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who had fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Um, this uh, account of the uh, demon-possessed man is in all the synoptic Gospels. And Mark gives us the, the largest report or account. Um, before we dig into particulars about the passage, I wanted to, um, this may be a good place to talk about uh, a feature we see throughout the Gospels, and that is, in Jesus' ministry, we see many, many, many miracles. 
Some of those are miracles of healing. Some of those are miracles over the forces of nature that we just saw in the end of Mark 4. And some of these are miracles regarding uh, demons or those who are demon-possessed or demonized might be a better word. And so, um, in a way, I'm going to maybe state some things that might be obvious, but I think are important for us to uh, consider as we uh, look at Scripture. And the first point is this is that what we learn from this text, and really from all the Gospels, is the reality of the spiritual realm. The reality of the spiritual realm. Now, what do I mean by the spiritual realm? I mean the non-material realm. And non-material means God, right? And angels. So, when we look at Scripture, what we find out is that there's a, a order of beings in this immaterial world, and God is the ruler of this realm. Now, he's really the ruler of all, amen? Both realms, which we'll talk about how these realms interact in a moment. But in the spirit realm, we learn that there are, there are beings that are called spirits, angels, messengers, demons, things of these nature, this nature. In the, in the spiritual realm, there are two classes. There are good angels... And there are fallen or evil angels. The evil angels we call demons, right? Am I right? Right. They're called demons. They're evil angels. They're also called deceiving spirits. They are called unclean spirits and things of this nature. Now, in this realm, there there is a uh, a kingdom or there is an order, if you will. Remember when Jesus said earlier in Mark? Uh, well, let's go back to it. Go back to Mark chapter. Uh, Two, actually it's Mark 3, excuse me. In Mark 3, Jesus, um, starting verse 22, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of the demons he cast out demons. So Jesus, early on in his ministry, even before this account of, of the Gerasenes, had already been healing some who had, had demon problems. So they couldn't deny the work of Jesus. They couldn't deny that he was delivering people from the power of demonic forces. So what did they say? Well, he's doing it, but he's doing it by an evil power. And Jesus said, what you're saying is really illogical. Because Satan wouldn't fight against Satan. But it's it's interesting here that um, they refer to Beelzebub, which is a, just simply another name for what, who the, the, the person we call Satan or the devil as the ruler of the demons. Because what we see in Scripture is that the Scripture talks about uh, hierarchies, if you will, in the spiritual realm, when it talks about principalities, powers, lords, and things of this nature. Now, we don't get a very uh, vivid or, or detailed picture of the spiritual realm, but we do know a couple things. One we know is that it's real. It really exists. Okay? We know that there is a being called Satan, or the devil, or the dragon, or the deceiver, or Beelzebub. He has many names in Scripture. Lucifer is one of them. We know that this being is the ruler of this uh, kingdom, or this realm, of fallen spirits. And these fallen spirits we call demons. And there's some kind of structure in this kingdom. And there are different, you know... Positions, if you will, referred to as principalities, 
powers, lords, and things of these, this nature. And, and we don't get a lot of uh, details about the realm, but we know it's there, we know it's organized, and we know that it's opposed to God. Now, what that means is that if you're on God's side, it's opposed to you. So whose side are you on? You're on God's side? Raise your hand. All right, so you're on God's side. So there's a, a kingdom which is opposed to you. And it's an invisible kingdom, primarily invisible. We'll talk about that in a moment, too. It's an immaterial, spiritual kingdom. Now, I stress this because it is very easy to live by sight. Am I right? And to kind of believe in uh, what we see. And there's a tendency to think that what we see or what has physical substance is more real than what is invisible. But what's more real? This podium or God? God. Because God is the, God is the source of all reality. Who could be more real than God? Right? Can you see God? No. But is He less real because you cannot see Him? No. Not at all. So if we live by faith, we, we, we understand that the invisible is not less real than the visible. It is not less powerful than the visible. It is not less um, influential than the visible. It's just not visible. Now what's more important, your soul or your body? Can you see your soul? Did somebody say yeah? I thought I heard a yeah in there. It's like, I like to see your soul. Show me. I've never seen one. So you can't see your soul or your spirit, but it's it's your soul or your spirit that actually controls your body. Your body is being controlled by what your soul or your spirit does, right? So the invisible is real, and I mean real in the in the in the most profound sense that we can use that word real. And we need to remind ourselves of this. Um, as you read the Gospels, you see all these things happening where this this interaction between the spiritual realm and the physical realm. You see all this miraculous stuff going on. And what we what we have to understand, are you listening? Is that true Christianity is supernatural. Now, there's a brand of Christianity which attempted to really take over the church a while back, and it's called deism. Deism basically took a belief in God, a belief in heaven and hell, a belief in um, the moral law, and said, uh, you know, the goal is to love God by serving our fellow man, and then when we die, if we're good, we'll go to heaven, and if we're not so good, we won't go to heaven. And they believed in parts of the Bible but it was mainly the parts that weren't supernatural. So you get somebody like Thomas Jefferson who took the New Testament and he got his scissors out and he cut out all the miracles. Then he pasted the other parts together and then he sent the Bible to the Indians and says, this is what Christianity is. Well, it's not true. That's not what Christianity is. You can't sip, you, listen, you can't separate Christianity from the, from the miraculous. You cannot. Why? Well, let me, let me tell you what C.S. Lewis said about this. You ready? Since you usually don't listen to me, listen to him. Okay? <clears throat> One is very often asked at present whether we could not have a Christianity stripped or as people who ask it say freed from its miraculous elements. 
a Christianity with the miraculous elements suppressed. Now, it seems to me that precisely the one religion in the world, or at least the only one I know, with which you could not do that is Christianity. In a religion like Buddhism, if you took away the miracles attributed to Buddha in some very late sources, there would be no loss. In fact, the religion would get on very much better without them, because in that case, the miracles largely contradict the teaching. Or even in a case like the religion of Islam, nothing essential could be altered if you took away the miracles. You could have a great prophet preaching his dogmas without bringing in any miracles, for they are only in the nature of a digression or, or illuminated capitals. But you cannot possibly do this with Christianity. Why? Because the Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. The Christian assertion being uh, that what is beyond all space and time, what is uncreated, eternal, came into nature, into human nature, descended into his own universe, and rose again, bringing nature up with it. So, so here's the thing, the, the, the thing we need to see is, is that our, our faith, our confession of faith is rooted in the supernatural. If you believe in Jesus, the biblical Jesus, you believe that the uncreated eternal God entered space, time, and history, and he entered human nature in the person of Jesus Christ. That he was conceived of a virgin. That's the miracle. And that when he died, he took the sins of the world upon him. That was a miracle. But then he rose from the dead. That was a miracle. If you believe the gospel in any sense, then you believe in miracles. Our faith is rooted in the supernatural. You cannot separate the, the miracles in the scripture from uh, the dogma, if you will. They're, they're inseparable. And so... So the, the point being is how then do we have a confession of faith which is so miraculous and yet so often we walk around living not believing in miracles? It's, well, how do we do this? It's because we, we think of miracles as something that happened back then. Somehow miracles are for back then, you know? Back then when the book was written, you know? The book's got miracles in it, but the book was written a long time ago. The book's not written anymore. As if God doesn't do miracles. Here's the thing we have to understand. The, 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 the universe, the world that we live in, is an open system. What I mean by that is, I should have done some PowerPoints, but I didn't. Cause I'm, apologize. But you think, if you think about, often the way we look at the world is as if it's like two concentric circles. In, in, in the inner circle, you have humanity and what we think of as the material universe. And then you, on the outer circle, you have God and angels and demons. But in reality, there's no, there's no, there's just one circle. The natural and the spiritual are not like two different worlds that don't interact. The universe is open, if you will, which means God and spirits, both good and bad, interact with what we call the natural realm. You can't really, you can separate them in our analysis, perhaps. But you cannot separate them in reality because there's not two different realities. There's only one reality. There's only one created order. And it, it, there's a, a, a hierarchy in that order. There are d- different kinds of beings in that order. But it's one order. God is not out there. 
There's not this invisible line between us and God. God's inside the circle, right? Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am present in their midst. If I didn't believe that, I would never come to church. I'm serious. I love you all, but I don't come primarily for you. I come for Jesus. Because I believe at least one other person here, besides me, wants to meet Jesus. And so he says he'll come. So that means Jesus is present here. But how many of us to believe that? He's really here. And that means that angels are here. And that means that demons are here. Because it's inseparable. There's spiritual warfare going on all around us right now. Right now. And this is why often when you come to worship, you can't worship. Sometimes when you're trying to listen to a sermon, you can't listen because your mind's off in a thousand directions. Why? Because there's a battle going on. And it's very, very real. This text here in Mark just shows, it's just a picture of really what goes on all the time. Whether there's a physical manifestation of any kind of demonization is not the point in, in this present discussion. The point is, is that the supernatural realm, the spiritual realm, both good and evil, is not something that's distant. It's not out there. It's right here. So we live in an enchanted world. It's kind of like Narnia. Really. Really. Let me... Let me uh, yeah. Look at Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel 1 for a moment. Here we go. Here we go. In Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 4, it says, Then I looked and, and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also from within it came the likeness of four living creatures. Here we go. Narnia. Weird creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces and each one had four wings. And their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. And they sparkled like the color of burnished bronze. And the hands of man were under their wings on all four sides. And each of the, each of the four had faces and wings and their wings touched to one another. And the creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. And, the, and for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side. Each of the four had the face of an ox on the left side. And each of the four had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces. And their wings stretched upward. Two wings of each one touched one another. And two covered their bodies. And they went straight forward. Verse 13, as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and out of the fire came lightning. This is something wild. Okay, right? Now go to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, we see very similar creatures. In chapter 4, in Revelation 4, verse 6, it says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature like a calf, and the third living creature had the face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. 
And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they did not rest day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and who is to come. Amen? So uh, when, when Isaiah got a glimpse of God's glory, we see, these, we see similar creatures there. Okay? Ezekiel refers to them as the cherubim. Um, Isaiah calls them the seraphim. But these are a, a, the, some form and class of angelic beings. They're, they're real. They really exist. And these men had glimpses, had visions, if you will, and they were able to see what generally is invisible to the, to the human eye. And so this spiritual realm is uh, no less real than the physical realm. And as it relates to the, the, the text in Mark, what we need to understand is that there are real beings that we call devils or demons or evil spirits, and they are, and they really exist. They're not simply literary devices used in the Bible. They really exist. And they exist, secondly, as persons. Now what do I mean is that? What I mean is they are not simply forces. They're not simply energies. It's not like there's just bad karma in the world. But that these fallen spirits have personality. Meaning they have mind, they have emotion, they have will. They think, they act, they move. So it's not just that there's dark, you know, the force be with you, the dark. It's not just forces operating, it's beings with intelligence and beings with will. They really do exist, both good and both bad. Now, you might be thinking, well, I know that. Well, I, I hope you know that. But I think sometimes we need to be reminded of the obvious. Because I think sometimes we encounter things in our spiritual experience which um, we uh, don't realize can be traced back to the fact that there's spiritual warfare going on uh, in our lives. And that there are real spirit beings who are opposing us and opposing the work of God. So the, the, the spiritual realm is real, no less real than the physical realm. In that realm there is God, you know, the, the immaterial God. And immaterial spirits, both good and bad. Now, as I already said, in this this realm, I don't like that word. I don't. I, I, there really isn't a, a perfect word in my mind for describing this because the tendency is, as I said before, is to think of somehow the spiritual world or the spiritual realm as a separate place than where we live. You know what I'm saying? But that's not what we see in Scripture. What we see is that the universe is open, and there's this interaction between what we call the spiritual and the material. Um, we see, in many cases, we won't take the time to look at the text, but we see cases like Genesis 18 is a classic example where the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ, and a couple angels show up, right? And they have lunch with Abraham. But they were in the form of men. So somehow, in ways we don't understand, they were able to take on an appearance. 
of a human. In Hebrews, what are we told? We're told to be hospitable. Why? Because some have entertained angels not knowing it. So it's possible you've met an angel and you didn't even know it, according to that scripture. That's pretty freaky, right? I mean, that's Narnia. Um, but that's what the text is saying. It's they, they somehow entertained angels and they were not aware of it. Because it didn't, you know... I mean, when I think of an angel, well, what do you think, right? The wings and all kinds of stuff, right? The glow, the harps, you know? Organ music in the background, right? But according to that, the angel looked pretty normal. And the person wasn't even aware. Now, in other cases, people meet angels and they fall down and like, the fear of God is put in them, literally. Um, but the point is, is that there's, because we're in an open system, there's this interaction, this interplay between what we call the spiritual and call the natural. Uh, but they're not, I mean, in some senses, for analysis, we, they're separate, but they're not separate in the sense that there aren't two worlds. It's not like you leave the physical dimension and jump into the spiritual dimension. Okay? The spiritual dimension, the spiritual world, the spiritual realm, the spiritual kingdom, whatever word you want to use, intersects always and everywhere with the physical. And so, this is why we see things like miracles. Because miracles is that inter- is, a, is a manifestation of that interaction. It's not that um, God is breaking the rules, because God set the rules, right? So God is just doing a work which is manifesting itself in what we call the physical realm. So, first point, the spiritual realm is real, and I, and, and that includes the good and the evil. Secondly, the spiritual realm and the physical realm interact. Now, what is the what is the character and, and the nature of this spiritual realm? Well, we're not going to talk about the, the, the good angels because that's not the focus of this text. In this text, it talks about the bad angels, right? In, in Mark, we have a man here who is demonized and apparently had more than one demon attached to him. Uh, it says many. It uses the name Legion. So, what what is the goal? Here's the question we have to ask ourselves: If if the spiritual realm is real, if there's a dark, if there's a dark element to this, now we know there's a dark element to the human realm, right? We call it fallen fallenness, you know, the flesh, human sin. But there's a dark element in the spiritual realm too: uh, the demons, the the unclean spirits. What what's what's their goal? What are they up to? What do they want to do? Well, um, I think the key to their activity is understanding Satan. Why? Because Satan is the ruler. And the amazing thing to me when I study this kind of thing is how, how often it appears that the kingdom of darkness has its act together and the kingdom of light doesn't. Because Jesus said, you know, in the kingdom of darkness, Satan wouldn't fight against Satan because their kingdom would fall. Implying... The demons kind of follow orders. It's like, do Christians? Right? Do, do we follow orders? Are we like this rebel, you know, this kind of rebel brigade in God's army that isn't quite following the orders? Um, I can guarantee you, the army that follows the orders is going to win. <laughs> right? 
So in this, in this kingdom, we know that Satan is the ruler. And as I already pointed out, there's various orders, principalities, powers, rulers, etc. Um, but what is, what are they really doing in sense of what's their objective? Well, I think one of the ways to understand that is to, um, look at the character of Satan himself. Now, sometimes you'll hear Christians say things like, well, you know, I was tempted by the devil or something about the devil. There's only one devil. When we use the word the devil, we're talking about Satan, right? There's only one Satan. It's a, it's a personality, a personality, a real being. There's only one, but there's only one of them. And he's not everywhere. Right? He can't be everywhere. Now, I don't know how fast spirits move. You know, I don't know if it's like, you know, Star Trek and, I don't know. But I know this, only God is omnipresent. Only God is everywhere. So, Satan is somewhere at this point in time. Where he is, I don't know. But there are other uh, angels, fallen angels, that are in league with him. And they are, in diff, you know, they're doing different things. Now, some of those angels are actually not free to roam the earth. We know this because Peter and Jude both talk about fallen angels being locked up and reserved for judgment. But some, for God's purposes, are free to roam around the earth and cause problems. How many? We don't know. Where a lot of them are, we don't know. We don't know this. We're not told this. We just know they're not good. Right? You don't want them around. Right? You, any any more amens of that? Yeah. Okay. So, but because Satan is the ruler of this kingdom, the kingdom takes on its his nature, if you will. It takes on his characteristics. If if the demons truly follow his lead, then they'll be attempting to fulfill his purposes. Right? So, what are his purposes? Well, what's the devil wanting to do? Well, um, so let's talk about this briefly. Oh. Uh, we can learn about his character, and by learning about his character, we can also learn about his how he works. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about Satan's character. First of all, his name, one of his names is Lucifer. And the word Lucifer means shining one, which is why in some translations it's translated morning star. And, and from what we learn from this is, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, the devil will often move in such a way, act in such a way, that he appears as an angel of light. He appears of an, as an angel of light, right? So, he's, he's apparently was originally a very beautiful being. Very beautiful. And so, he still attempts to appear beautiful... But he uses his beauty to allure and to seduce. Now, this is very important because when we think of evil, it's very easy to think of evil as something that's like, you know, grungy or something. Evil's, you know, somebody in a back alley, you know, that's all, you know, a needle up their vein and this, you know. Evil is, is a, a, a woman on television Defending the murder of a million babies every year. In her, in her thousand dollar business suit, while she, why she, while she is smiling and affirming, uh, the value of, uh, women's rights. That's evil. You see, evil smiles. 
Evil can be beautiful. Evil can be very attractive, but it's still evil. And so what we often forget is that, is that the devil smiles. We think the devil comes and he wants to frighten us. Oh, it is Halloween time, isn't it? The devil wants to scare us. The devil wants you simply to follow him. He doesn't care if you're scared. He just wants you to follow. And if he can get you to to follow by a smile, then he'll smile. So he appears as an angel of light, if you will. And and thus, his his work and the work of those uh, of his, his followers is the same. And so we must not be deceived by appearances. We got a lot of smiley preachers out there, don't we? And they're selling a false gospel. They appear as angels of light and apostles of light, but they are not. Another name for the devil is Satan, which simply means adversary, which means somebody who opposes or he takes a stand against. And so Satan stands against the purposes of God. If you really want to know what Satan's up to, then the question is to ask yourself, well, what does God want to do? As I read the scripture, what are the purposes of God? And then you can be pretty sure that if you figure out the opposite of that, then that's what the devil's up to. So if God wants people to be saved, then I can assure you, you the devil doesn't want people to be saved. Well, well, that might explain why a lot of Christians never witness. Because the devil doesn't want people saved. Whatever the purposes of God are, the devil stands in opposition to him. Thirdly, the devil, the, the very word devil means accuser or slanderer. He slanders God to man. In the original uh, account in Genesis of the fall of man, what happens? Satan says to Eve, yes, God said this, but there's a condition. And the implication of what the devil said was that God didn't have your best interest at heart. Okay, That was the implication. In other words, he was slandering God to Eve. And thus Satan will do to us. He will lie to us and he will tell us that God is not who God says he is. He will tell us that God does not have our best interest at heart. And this is probably his most common tactic is simply to lie. And he lies regarding the heart of God. And he says God's heart is not toward us. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Amen? So he slanders God to us, but he also slanders man to God. And we see this in the book of Job. In the book of Job, Satan appears before God, and uh, he starts accusing Job. He starts saying to God, Job this and Job that. Job doesn't really love you, God, because you've blessed him. Take away your blessings, God, and you'll see that he doesn't really love you. So so he, he tells us God doesn't love us. And then he tells God, we don't love God. He's just a freaking liar. I mean, he is. Jesus said he's the father of lies. He just lies. It's his nature. He's a psychopathic liar. Okay? And so he slanders us to God. Well, why would he do that? Because he wants God to condemn us. That's what he really wants. He's condemned And he wants us to join him in his condemnation. 
And so he he's attempting to turn God against us, right? But thank the Lord Jesus, we have an intercessor with God. And we're told that Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And that he is our advocate. That means he's our defense attorney. So when Satan comes and he says, you know what? I don't think Rob Witte should be saved. He's a sinner. Condemn him. I don't think, I don't think Diane Vaughn should be saved. She, she deserves to go to hell. I don't think Mike Dean should be saved. He doesn't love you enough, God. You need to condemn him. Jesus stands up and pleads his blood. And he says, my blood covers Rob Witte. My blood covers Diane Vaughn. My blood covers Mike Dean. My blood covers all of the children of God. And it's because of His blood, what does the Word tell us? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus pleads His blood before the Father when the enemy of our souls attempts to turn God against us. And listen, when you start believing God is against you, then you're believing the lie of the devil. God is not against His people. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you are one of His chosen ones, He is for you. No matter what you are going through, He is for you and He is on your side. And God will never leave you, nor forsake you, nor condemn you, the Word of God says. Never. But He also slanders man to man. The devil loves nothing better than to have Christians slandering one another. Um, he loves gossip. He loves slander. It's it's uh, his nature to lie and slander. And he attempts to get the church to join him in that work. Um, <clears throat> let me say one more word about that. You know, I think we as the church... I just mean this church, but I mean the Christian church. I think we need to be a little more careful in how we address the world. Because I, you know, if you get on the internet and you read stuff, a lot of people just, they, I guess they have nothing better to do but get on Facebook and other venues, blog and do things, and just condemn other people. I'm talking about Christians. They have nothing better to do but to point out the flaws and the sins and the errors, according to them, of other groups, either Christian group or even non-Christians. Um, now, I believe the church has a prophetic voice. If you've, if you've heard me preach for any length of time, you know that I believe that we, the church needs to stand against sin. Okay, We need to, to point out sin, preach against sin. But we also need to beware that when you're in a forum, which is read by millions and millions of people, Whatever you're doing on the internet, you are, you are professing Christ. Do you understand? So you are being a witness. And if all the world sees coming out of the church is a bunch of haters, it's not going to draw people to Jesus. If all they see is us condemning other Christian groups or us condemning the world and not really preaching the love of Christ, then it's not going to draw them to Jesus. It isn't. I'm not saying go soft. We should be soft on sin. I'm not. But I'm saying we need to be a little more conscious of what we're doing when we are on a forum that literally can can uh, be seen and read by millions and millions of people around the world. Okay, whatever you're doing at home on that keyboard, once it's uploaded, you are a witness for Jesus. Okay, remember that you you are a witness for Jesus, and so. 
be conscious of the fact that uh, not just people in your little circle, but potentially unsaved people you don't even know are going to read what you're saying. And so what the spirit in which you say it and how you say things will be seen by people and it can either draw them to Christ or it can repel them. <coughs> Excuse me. I mean, I've read things by Christians that I probably agree, I mean, I probably agree with the person in terms of their fundamental doctrine. But the things, they're, the way they say things are just, just, I'm like, yuck. If I was unsaved, I would flee from this. If, the, if that was my picture of Christianity as being portrayed, I would run away from Christianity. So beware, okay, that while we speak for what is right, we don't fall into the devil's snare and then just really just become slanderers. You know what I'm saying? Be sensitive. Be aware. Uh, <clears throat> lastly, he's called the wicked one. Okay? The wicked one. The devil's wicked. What that means is he's not good. <laughs> wicked is not good. It means foul. It means unclean. It means evil. And he ultimately, he's the source of all the wickedness in the world, we, we learn, because he led our parents into sin, and through their sin, the entire world has been defiled. Uh, there's no such thing as white magic. There's really no such thing as good witches, okay? And all of these things that we have in fiction, okay? The reality is, the dark side is dark, and the light side is light. The devil is bad, God is good. The devil appears good, because he's an angel of light, but in fact, he's bad. And the devil, because of his slander, will try to make God look bad, but God is good. We need to keep this clearly in mind. He's also called the tempter, which means that the, the devil and his demons attempt to lead us into error and to sin. Notice I said not just sin. When we think of sin, we think of an act, but sin is also an attitude. Sin can be an inward disposition. You can not sin in an action, but you can have sin in your heart. You have sin in your mind. You can be prideful, arrogant, angry, judgmental, critical. These are all sins of the heart. But he also leads us into error. Um, he, he is, you have to remember, the thing you have to remember about Satan is that he dwells in darkness. Okay? And darkness isn't just moral darkness, it's also intellectual darkness. And so he leads into erroneous thinking, false doctrine, false ideas. Why? Because ultimately, false thinking leads to false living. Ultimately. So, um, our time's up. Let me, let me make a couple conclusions. And then uh, we're going to come back to this text over the next few weeks. One of the reasons I believe that this passage is in the synoptics is because one of the lessons that we are to learn is the reality of the dark side. That it's very real and that it's very ugly. Okay. Now as you look at this text, you look at this guy who was demon-possessed, he was a mess, right? There's nothing attractive about this. Right? He's cutting himself, he's in chains, he's basically insane. Um, today he'd be locked up in a mental institution somewhere. 
Um, and I think the point of the, with spending all this detail on describing how um, really how brutish this person was, the mark is trying to get us to see that the the, the work of the devil is, is ultimately degrading. Okay, it is brutalizing. It is brutish. It is foul. It is unclean. There's nothing good about it. So that means we want to avoid it completely. Completely. Not a little bit is okay. You want to avoid it completely because it defiles. But the other point, and this is the main point, which we'll talk about more in the future, is that as you look at the way Mark is constructed, what we see here is that Jesus' ministry is really at getting at a point of crisis because of the resistance of the Pharisees, right? Remember, we learned that he started to teach in parables because they had eyes, but they couldn't see or wouldn't see. They had ears, but they wouldn't hear. So this increasing opposition to Jesus. And so Mark is showing us, it's kind of like if you're looking at you know a building with a pinnacle. We're getting in really to the pinnacle of the story in the sense that we're getting near the point where from here on out, it's the descent to the cross. At first, Jesus came and he offered himself as Messiah. He offered the kingdom, if you will. But we're seeing that there's increasing opposition. And at some point, the offer is really over. And then Jesus then heads to Jerusalem to be crucified. And so we see forces rising in opposition to Jesus, right? And so in Mark, the end of Mark 4, we looked at the storm. And that storm, of course, was a real storm. It really happened. But it also was a, a, uh, in scripture to teach us about rising opposition to Jesus. The storm coming, if you will. But also to show us that Jesus Christ is Lord of the storm. Okay, Jesus Christ is Lord over all of nature. Jesus Christ is Lord over the physical realm. So now we go into Mark 5, and what do we learn? Jesus Christ is Lord of the spiritual realm. This case in Mark, although there had already been uh, uh, deliverances of demons, this case in Mark is really the worst case given us in the Scripture. And it's given us to, given here now because what what Mark and the gospel writers want us to see is that Christ, the Christ that's being rejected by the Pharisees, is the Christ who is both Lord of nature and Lord of supernature. In other words, He's the Lord of all. This is the one who presented himself to the Jews, but this is the one that was ultimately rejected. In spite of the demonstration of his power over nature, in spite of the demonstration of his power over the spiritual world, Jesus was still rejected by those he came to. But he's Lord of all. Amen? And we'll talk more about that next week. Let's stand and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can even call you Lord. Help us better appreciate what that means. Help us better appreciate your Lordship over the physical or the material world as well as the immaterial world. I pray, Lord, that um, you would make us keen, that as your word says, Lord, that we'd be sober and vigilant, 
because our enemy, the adversary, the devil, roams about seeking whom he may devour. I pray that today, Lord, would be a reminder to each one of us of his reality. It would, it would be a reminder that we need to be alert, that we need to be discerning to things going on in our life, things in our hearts and even things in our mind. And I pray, Lord, that we would be um, truly discriminating in knowing your voice versus the voice of the enemy. That we would truly be discriminating in knowing good from evil. I pray that you'd keep us um, unspotted from the world and the evil one. And we pray in your name. Amen.